Welcome to Cyclopod, showcasing work by early career geoscientists that is of interest to the cyclostatigraphic community. This podcast is made possible thanks to financial support of the International Subcommission on Timescale Calibration. It's the end of the month again, so it's time for another episode of Cyclopod. I am your host, David de Vleeschauer, and our guest in this fourth episode of Cyclopod is Zhou Chang Wang. Zhou Chang is a postdoctoral researcher at the China University of Geosciences in Wuhan, and he specializes in Miocene paleoclimate archives. Unlike most other Miocene workers, Zhou Chang is not looking at marine archives. Instead, he's looking at Aeolian or lacustrine sedimentary records in and around China. So with that research focus, Chu Chang is the first guest here at Cyclopod who's working with astronomical cycles preserved in terrestrial records rather than in marine records. A few months ago now, Zhu Chang Wang and his colleagues published a very nice study in GSA Bulletin in which they looked at two different sections in Northeast Tibet that accumulated simultaneously during the late Miocene. So they looked at one lacustrine section and one Aeolian section. And what they found is that these two different sedimentary systems recorded different astronomical parameters, despite the fact that they are close together in space, and thus they are under the same climate regime. Zhou Chang, welcome to the show. And please, can you immediately give us your big conclusion? Why is it that these two contemporaneous sections have this different astronomical signature? Okay, thank you very much, David, for giving me this opportunity to take about my latest work. We suggest that the Yaudian session on the Northern Tibetan Plateau was mainly controlled by East Asia Simon Monsoon. In contrast, the orbital signature of the Yolim sediments in the Jialan session, as on the Northern Tibetan Plateau, was more influenced by the East Asian Winter Monsoon. So, these two sedimentary arcules are in the same climate region, but they reflect different seasons. And so it seems that the summer monsoon evolution was more sensitive to eccentricity and precession, while the winter monsoon responded primarily to obliquity. So Zichang, from your answer, it is clear that we will be talking about the East Asian monsoon quite a bit throughout this podcast. So remind us, what is now the difference between the summer monsoon and the winter monsoon? Yeah, this is a basic question. When you are on the Tibetan plateau during the winter monsoon, you have northwestern winds that carry cold air from the Siberia. And in most of China, that means cold and dry conditions. When you are on the Tibetan plateau during the summer monsoon, you will feel the warm and moist air that comes from the tropical Pacific. These winds cause warm and moist weather in East China, Korea, and Japan during the summer. All right, that's clear. Winds coming out of different directions during the summer and the winter monsoon. But during the Miocene, the Tibetan Plateau was probably not as high as it is today, right? How did the tectonic uplift of the region influence the dynamics of the monsoon? This is a very controversial issue and hold a topic during the early Miocene. The northeast Tibetan plateau was indeed not as high as it is today. 
the northern and northeastern Tibetan plateau and its surrounding areas experienced significant uplift since the Mansi. Climbing models reveal the northern Tibetan plateau uplift causes significant reductions in annual precipitation in a broad region of inland Asia north of the Tibetan plateau due to the enhanced rain shadow effect of the mountains. And the model result is confirmed by geological evidence. For example, the Chaitan Basin transitioned towards a rectification from the mountain to pricing, where the practice of the of the northern Tibetan plateau prevent moisture from reaching northwest China because of the elevated mountains. So now that you explained the monsoon dynamics in the region and how that building mountains makes it more arid in the area you studied, I would like to dig a little bit deeper into the proxies that you used to reconstruct the lacustrine cycles and the Aeolian sediment transport. In your lacustrine section, you used manganese over iron as a proxy for the oxygenation state of the Paleo Lake. Can you explain how you measured that proxy and how the proxy works? Yeah, we attend the magnets of iron data by using the hand SRF spectrometer with five centimeters resolution. The theory behind the policy is based on the fact that iron oxides clear the magnets. That means that when less little oxygen available in the water column, only iron oxides and magnets now. Only iron precipitates and ends up in the sediment and magnets now. When oxygen is limited, we likely have a lot of magnets over iron regions. And of course, the other way around, how magnets of iron values are indicated and oxygenated water column. All right, that's a very clear uh, proxy justification. And what about the Aeolian section? What proxy did you use there? We use magnetic susceptibility as a proxy of Aeolian dice. We suggest the intensive uplift of the NET bed during middle to late mountain produce a large amount of fluid detritus with hard magnetic susceptibility. These detritus land code have been transported to the Genzai Basin by the East Asian winter monsoon. In other words, we suggest that increase of magnetic susceptibility in the yielding section in this and strengthen East Asian winter monsoon. That's pretty cool, thank you. And so to summarize your findings, you observe a strong 100 kilo year eccentricity imprint in the lacustrine manganese over iron record, but you find a strong obliquity imprint in the Aeolian record. At the start of the podcast, you already gave away that the 100 kilo year eccentricity signature comes from the summer monsoon, while the obliquity signature comes from the winter monsoon. We will discuss why those two monsoon components respond differently to the insulation Milankovic forcing. But before we do that, it's time for the number of the month. So every month, I pick out a special number, a number that summarizes an important issue in the field of cyclostratigraphy. And today's special number is 2030, 2030. China University of Geosciences has a clear plan how it wants to build a beautiful China and a habitable planet by the year 2030. What is your take at this ambitious plan, Zichang? 
How do you think we can contribute to a habitable planet by doing paleoclimate research? Indeed, the planet is ambitious. The Chinese government do this in many ways. First, the Chinese government has formulated a carbon emission strategy to achieve the carbon neutrality by 2013. That means the amount of carbon emission is included into the amount of carbon abstraction, negative emissions. Secondly, the Chinese government has formulated strategic ecology protection process to protect wildlife. It has set up a natural park system. We engage in paleoclimate research to provide constructive input to government policy by reconstructing the history of past climate changes. For example, by reconstructing monsoon dynamics in the mountain, we can attain a better understanding of how this system may might be operating in harder CO2 world. Okay, let's go back to the Miocene now. You told us that the lacustrine system is mainly tracking 100 kilo-year eccentricity variability because it's more sensitive to the summer monsoon. Can you explain why that is, how that works? Yeah, loud latitude in solution changes must due to precession. When Earth, in, when Earth is in the perihandrid during summer, we have a strong summer in solution and this causes more moisture elevation in land, resulting in late expansion. These precession cycles are not always equally strong. They are more important when the Earth's orbit is more eccentric, and less important when the Earth's orbit is more circular. This is called amplitude modulation, and this is probably the result while we find 100 kilo-years eccentricity cycles in the late custom session but Antarctica may also play a role. For example, by training moisture availability. But you don't have a strong precession peak in your power spectra, do you? So if your hypothesis heavily relies on summer insulation over Asia, why don't you have a strong precession peak then? Yeah, the precession cycles are only with the very developing, but precession Balance uh, can transform into the eccentricity band if the precession index forcing function is distorted by a nonlinear response within the climate system. Nonlinear recording, recording of climate change in the stratigraphic domain or both at the same time. Yeah, that's true. Um, you need some nonlinearity to get the power into the eccentricity um, frequencies. That's true. In the Aeolian system, on the other hand, the signature is, is less complicated. It's not nonlinear. It's obliquity dominated throughout. And you relate that obliquity signature to a winter monsoon sensitivity. Can you explain that? Yeah. You remember the sub high pressure cell? The intensity of the high pressure is the contrary factor of the wind speed. Obliquity plays a role in this hard pressure cell because with a low tail, you get colder, high latitudes and less and less stronger, harder pressure and less stronger winds during winter. That's why the East Asian winter monsoon is dominated by obliquity pacer variability. Yeah, that's amazing, Zichang. And then again, the benthic marine record exhibits yet another astronomical signature. There we really have a mixture of 100,000 year eccentricity and obliquity. 
How do you interpret that? Source Tanasi is the source area for the East Asia summer monsoon. So it explains why birds have a similar response to eccentric city. Of course, as we say, there's also obliquity in the marine record. The obliquity cycles in the marine record are not related to the obliquity cycles remained by the yielding sediments. So the obliquity cycles in the DC oxygen astros may be derived from changes in S value on the bit of the obliquity. Whereas the obliquity cycles in the yielding session are probably re related to the changes in the wind intensity. Thank you so much, Chu Chang, for this interesting conversation. I also would like to thank our audience for listening to this fourth episode of Cyclopod. I really enjoyed talking to Chu Chang Wang about his new paper in the Geological Society of America Bulletin and about why it takes more than one section to fully grasp the Earth system response to astronomical forcing at any point in geological history. Personally, I especially like the fact that Zhu Chong Wang makes paleoclimate interpretations for different kinds of sedimentary systems, lacustrine, eolian, and marine. He really does an amazing job at bringing together these different pieces of the puzzle to reconstruct what has been happening over East Asia between 12 and 6 million years ago. For more updates and information on cyclostratigraphy, or if you'd like to reach out, please visit us on www.cyclostratigraphy.org. See you later.